0: Welcome to All Places Together. Here we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. Here's a story for you. A story called There's Still Time. If this is the first episode of All Places Together that you're listening to, welcome. I'm so glad you found this place. Today's story is grounded in the pregnancy narrative of a person in the Bible, and there is talk of fertility in the Bible and modern times. If you're unsure about listening to this, I invite you to pause here and go back to the previous episode, episode 26, The God Who Sees Me. There I do a longer preface that will help you decide if this is something you want to listen to at this point in time. If you decide these episodes right now aren't for you, I understand, and I hope you'll consider checking out other episodes, such as Name Day, Whoever, and However, to get to know all places together more. A lesson I learned a hard way while serving as pastor in a church was the millennial use of the word season. Now, I'm not sure if we're the only generation that uses this word in this way, but I don't know what the upper age limit on it is, so I'm only claiming it for us millennials. I often use the word season to talk about a phase of my life, like a chapter of my life. I'm in a season of trying out a new type of exercise. I am in a season of trying to take things slower, and I'm not taking anything else new on. I'm in a season of intense, focused learning on a topic. Used in this way, I mean the word season to, to represent an amount of time, but there's not a clear end or a clear beginning, and it's not necessarily linear. It's a flowy, feeling sort of thing. Once I used the word season in this way in a heated conversation with the all-white leadership of the church I was serving at the time about leading a Bible study that focused on biblical anti-racism work. A person said, but I don't want to learn about that right now. I replied with what I thought was a gracious answer at the time. I said, It's okay if this isn't the right season for you to learn about this now. I think that there will be a sufficient-sized group for this study to move forward, and this isn't the only Bible study that will be offered at this time. What this person heard, and what other people around the table heard, all of whom were at least one generation older than me, was me saying to this person, You're too old. It's too late for you. I was shocked when I was told about this interpretation of my words later. That was not what I meant to say at all, right? I did not mean to imply that this person was too old or too late in life to engage in the work of anti-racism. I just knew they had other big things going on in their life and that starting a Bible study that would take a big emotional toll would be really difficult for them. It wasn't the right season. I've learned a lot from that interaction and since that interaction. I learned that when trying to speak across generational lines on emotional topics, it's important to make sure that I am understood by those people in that moment. That if I'm using a word that feels like slang or is more common in my generation, I need to be sure they're clear on what I'm saying. We may not still agree, but I at least want to be sure they understand the context of the words that I'm speaking with. And what I've learned since then is that while I thought I was extending grace to that person, what I actually was extending was white privilege. One of the many lessons I took from Layla F. Saad's Me and White Supremacy was that black indigenous people of color don't get to choose when they interact with the effects of racism. Racism doesn't stop when they are having a bad day, when a parent dies, when they are job hunting, or when they are getting over an illness. So saying it's okay for you not to engage in anti-racism work right now because it's not the right season is white privilege. White people are able to choose how, when, and where we want to face and engage with anti-racist work. BIPOC don't. It is their day in, day out, even when they are asleep in their own beds at home reality. Within the work of dismantling anti-racism, there are seasons and flows to that work. Pastor Lenny Duncan, author of Dear Church and United States of Grace, talks about them as times of building peace and waging peace. There are times when you are focused on learning, building community and relationships and more restful rhythms. Then there are times that are focused on marching, protesting, and other types of organized action. And when you do this work in a large enough community, you can have people who are building and waging peace all at the same time. The work of the seasons may look different, but it is always the season to dismantle racism in ourselves and in the world around us. Which is all to say, this person wasn't too old. I'm certainly not too old, and it's not too late. There is still time, which are the same words that God speaks to Sarah and Abraham. In the triangle of Hagar, Sarah, and Abraham, last week's focus was on Hagar. Her story is still interwoven into what we will talk about today, but the focus shifts To Sarah and Abraham. I realized that last week I didn't set the stage fully about why all this drama and trauma was unfolding between these three adults. I want to do this now because these stories are the foundation for the rest of the story of the Bible and the definitive beginning of an arc of narrative that will carry through the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures. You see, before Hagar, Sarah, and Abraham, there are only 11 chapters in Genesis. And since Genesis is the first book of the Bible, that means there are only 11 chapters of God's story so far. Now, it's true that some books are actually older than Genesis when you look at the scrolls and some of that history, but I'm talking about the arc that we receive in the Bible looking at this narrative arc. In these 11 chapters, the world was created. Adam and Eve start a family and their family fights. Then Noah and his family face the great flood on an ark. Then all of the people of the world try to build a tower to God, which God vetoes that idea. And then we made Abram and Sarai, whose names become Sarah and Abraham. So what we're talking about today is really early in the biblical narrative. In chapter 12 of Genesis, God comes to Abram and says, now please note that this is a Colleen paraphrase, not a direct biblical quote. God says to Abram, Abram, so good to see you today. I have chosen you and your wife Sarai for this big plan I have. You and Sarai are going to have descendants as many as the stars. They will live in a land that I am promising to you, and the whole world is going to be blessed through you all. Abram agrees to God's plan, and he and Sarai set out on this new journey. But it doesn't quite go the way I think that God hoped. Sarai and Abraham each make really bad decisions at various points in the story. Abram lies to the Pharaoh of Egypt about Sarai being his wife. The Pharaoh then takes Sarai into his house, treats her as a wife, which I'm pretty sure means has non-consensual sex with her. And then God sends plagues to Pharaoh because of this. Pharaoh gets mad at Abram for lying to him and kicks all of them out of the household. This actually then happens again later in Genesis with another foreign leader When once again, Abram lies about his relationship with Sarai. And then there's everything that we talked about last week. Sarai and Abraham both abuse and mistreat Hagar a lot. Yet through it all, God stays with them. God continually affirms that they will have all of these descendants. The descendants will get this land and they will bless the whole world. God works through these really complicated and messy people. But the problem remains that Sarai and Abraham don't have one child yet, not a kid anywhere in sight after decades of marriage. They very reasonably wonder, how can we have as many descendants as the stars if we don't even have one son? And I say son intentionally because of the patriarchy, they wouldn't have thought a daughter could have carried the covenant on. So God comes to Abram to reaffirm this promise. In the process of this conversation, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, and then we get this part about Sarai. Like last week, this translation comes from Wilda C. Gaffney's, a woman's lectionary for the whole church, year W. Here is Genesis 17, 15 to 22. Thus God said to Abraham, Now as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, for Sarah is now her name. And I will bless her, and indeed of her I will give you a son. And I will bless her, and she will become nations. Rulers of people shall come into being through her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to one, a hundred years old, and Sarah, 90 years old, give birth? Then Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael could live in your sight. God said, Nevertheless, your wife Sarah shall give birth to a son for you, and you shall call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Now for Ishmael, I have heard you, and I will bless him and make him fruitful, and I will make him exceedingly, exceedingly numerous. And he shall be the father of 12 chieftains, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall give birth to for you at the end of this next year. And when God had finished speaking with him, God ascended from Abraham. There it is. God says, you're not too old. She's not too old. It's not too late. There is still time. And Abram laughs. And then Sarah laughs later when he tells her, My guess is that Sarah would have known enough about her body and her menstrual cycle to know that since it had stopped, because she was 90, she wouldn't be able to conceive anymore. Of course, that's assuming she even had a normal cycle at some point, which I guess we don't actually know. But regardless, I think at by age 90, Sarah would have had a pretty good understanding of her body and how women's bodies worked in general. So her laughter comes from a place of knowledge and understanding. She's like, God, it is not the right season for me to have a child. In fact, that season has literally passed and it can't come back. But nevertheless, God says to her, to them, you're not too old. It's not too late. There is still time. And God makes good on their words. In chapter 21, Sarah gives birth to a son. She names him Isaac, which is a form of the verb to laugh, because she laughed, Abraham laughed, and now she's inviting all into this laughter, into this celebration. It wasn't too late. There was still time. So I have faith and hope for us today. That whatever it is that we are hoping for, longing for, working towards, dreaming about, that there is still time for it. Now, the specific thing that you are hoping for, longing for, working towards, and dreaming about may not come to fruition in the way that you desired. I know that this story in particular is one of those that is difficult for those who long to be parents. Individuals and couples may long for children for years, pray constantly, go through expensive and invasive medical treatments and procedures, and still not become parents. I will never have an answer to why this is. But I do trust that God is with them in that journey and in their grief. And I also trust that God says to us, to each of us, that there is still time for newness somehow somewhere in our lives there is time for newness there is still time to develop a new skill take on a new artistic hobby or learn a new sport you can learn how to cook lasagna you can learn how to macrame you can still learn how to play tennis there is still time to find different work that is more fulfilling to your heart or there's still time to find different work that is actually less fulfilling to your heart but compensates you at the same level or maybe even more so that you can spend more time doing that which does fulfill your heart. There is still time for you to come to know yourself more deeply and fully, to work through your own baggage, to heal from past trauma and to work towards a healthier and more authentic future. There is still time to rediscover joy after the death of a loved one, to laugh until you cry, to experience new things, and to go and do the things you only thought that you would or could do with them. There's still time to go do these things and maybe still enjoy them. There is still time to fall in love with someone who you could spend a decade or more with or to fall in love with someone you spend a season with and that you're still forever changed because of that love. And that may love may be romantic or it could be a platonic love, a friend that changes your life forever. There is still time for you to make peace with someone that you have a broken relationship with if that's something that's healthy and safe for you. If peace with that person isn't possible, maybe it's not too late for you to just find peace with the situation, to be able to carry it more loosely so it doesn't have such a grip on your life. There is still time for you to do meaningful work of anti-racism in yourself and to be an ally and accomplice to BIPOC leaders in your community. And if you're in relationship with people who are older than you, who want to do this work, it's not too late for them either. I know people who have come to this work in their 70s and have had their world turned upside down and now use their voice to advocate for others. Y'all, there is still time for so many things. And God is with us along these journeys. God is with you in these places. God is with you as you discover how to use your body and mind in new ways. God is with you as you heal from brokenness, discover new love for yourself, for others, and for the world around you. God is with you as you dismantle the racism within you and join others to abolish the oppressive systems of the world. Maybe we'll end up exactly where we thought we would and we can delight in that. Or maybe we end up in a completely different place than we thought we would and we learn to delight in that too. I don't know. I don't know if God even fully knows. But what I do know and what I do trust is that God sees us on our journey, that we are not alone. And that there is still time. For this, I give great thanks. And for certain, we'll learn lessons along the way, sometimes in a hard way. And I actually give thanks for that, too. It's not too late. There is still time for me and for you. A prayer for when it feels like it's too late. Dear God, I don't know how many times we've been over this. More times than I remember. I just wish I knew if it was going to happen or not. It feels like it's too late. The moment is gone. The season is past. And it might be. But it might not be. I don't know. Do you know? Is this how Sarah felt? Waiting a lifetime for your promise to be fulfilled? I think it's how she felt. Give me your peace and my uncertainty. Show your love to me through my family and friends so I know I'm not alone. Tend my hurting heart so that it can be ready to embrace whatever it is that comes next. Because with you, there's always still time. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God's voice too. This week, I heard from two different churches that shared last week's episode about Hagar with their Bible study group because their Bible study group had been learning about Hagar. This is so cool. I hope that my reflection was able to to help keep your conversation going, and that you continue to learn more about God and Hagar and how amazing she is. Thank you, thank you for sharing the podcast with your community. Also, if you're a part of a Bible study or a small group, maybe consider doing a podcast study of All Places Together as your next series. Today's episode about Sarah is the second of four, that would be a great fit for the upcoming season of Advent. To continue to see All Places Together grow, you can give through our website. Scroll to the bottom where it says, Give to All Places Together. Click that button and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. Thank you to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and people like you. We know it can be hard to give financially, So don't forget that we celebrate all of the ways that you share all places together with the people in your life and engage with the APT community during the week. If you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook yet, would you take a few moments now to find us there and join us there? I share prayers and videos and all sorts of encouraging content there throughout the week. It also makes it really easy for you to share the episodes and videos that are meaningful to you with the other people in your life that you love. You can just tag them there and invite them to listen right on that post or you could even share the whole post with your feed or onto your stories. You can find us at All Places Together on both Facebook and Instagram. And until next time, remember that God is with you and God loves you wherever Whoever and however you are.